I'm Byron Harris, and this is When I Got Here, Untold Immigrant Stories, a podcast from Literacy Achieves. At Literacy Achieves, we provide English literacy programs for immigrant and refugee families in Dallas, Texas. Our students come to us from all over the world. We celebrate them and what they bring to our country. When I Got Here tells the stories of immigrants who've come to the United States, why they left their homelands, and the lives they're making here. Don't tell William Tuya Giza there are no miracles in the world. He spent much of his early life in terror, ensnared in a bloody conflict between two African tribes, the Hutus and the Tutsis. William was a Hutu, born in Rwanda. When he was 18, Tutsis shot him in the ankle. The wound became infected so badly his leg was scheduled to be amputated. As he was on the operating table, though, a sudden power outage postponed the amputation. When power was restored three days later, the doctor noticed movement in William's toes and decided that the wound might heal after all. William's leg was spared. He was able to continue a horror-filled six-year hopscotch 6,000 miles through Central Africa to evade the war. They used to come in and take people every day, people to kill. In fact, they came and they took me and they went and they beat me and they, they put a rope around my neck. Three men, three toots men. And they, they wanted to strangle me and I fought with them. The worst came at a Tutsi prison camp. There was no food. His only possession was a Bible, which he used to sustain himself and other captives who he organized into a religious fellowship. We were just uh, laying down on the floor waiting to die because uh, they had denied us food. It had been almost two weeks without uh, food and uh, without water. So we knew we were going to die. People had been dying every day, every week, taking bodies. I remember one time we, we, spend, uh, we, we spend the whole week with 80 bodies until those bodies started rotting away and we were with them. So you could look at those bodies of the people you knew and then say, God, this is how I will look tomorrow, if not today. Sometimes because they also tortured us emotionally, they could just leave the dead bodies there so that we, we, they torture us um, emotionally. Emotional torment, yes. But he suffered physically in a torture chamber with 500 other people. A Tutsi officer came in with a handheld grenade and he threw the grenade into the torture chamber. 18 people died instant because of injuries and I sustained mass, massive injuries on my legs and the, the grenade broke my tibia and they, they thought I was dead too. So when the Tutsi soldiers came to collect the bodies to take them to the mortuary as they always did every morning when they knew they had killed some people, my body was carried to the mortuary with it under 17 bodies. There was uh, this lady who was uh, a medical student. She was doing research on dead bodies, making how, what are the procedures of taking care of the dead bodies. 
So she had to, to check everything to make sure that each one of us was already dead. And the, to her surprise, she found that I still had this faint pulse in me. So she rushed me to the clinic. They nursed my injuries, they revived me, and I stayed there for some time. Being left for dead and saved by a medical student was one of the many miracles that helped William not only survive, but eventually to prosper. After I was treated, they released me, I went home. When I arrived home, I realized that they had destroyed everything. Our village, they had killed my father, my siblings, my mother. I didn't know where my mother was, and all the neighbors I knew had been killed. From Rwanda, he made his way to Nairobi, Kenya. I ended up on the streets as a street boy, just begging all passbys, every pedestrian, every motorist, begging food from them. So what they used to do as beggars, we were refugees from Ethiopia, from Congo, from Rwanda, from Somalia. We used to approach motorists. So I approached this motorist. And uh, I stretched my hand out, begging. Luckily, he lowered his window and he smiled at me and he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm not fine, I'm very hungry. I haven't eaten in three days. Then he said, you, do, you don't look like a, a beggar. I told him, actually, I'm a classic beggar. I'm a qualified beggar. He laughed and then he said, I'm in a rush, but I have this $20. Take it and go and look for food. I'm going for a meeting, uh, a conference in Geneva. I will be back in two weeks. I would like to see you. I told him, you will find me. I stay in this bush. There were bushes, flower bushes at the UNHCR. And uh, that's where I was staying. So I told him, you will find me. here. So this, I thought the story had ended there. He left and uh, I was uh, grateful to God that uh, I got that $20 because it was a lot of money. It was the largest amount of money I had ever touched. And uh, we went and bought uh, food, rice, beans, uh, sacks. So I brought all the refugees that uh, refugee boys that we used to live in, in that bush together. And I told them, come and eat. At least we have two weeks of eating without going to bed. To his shock, William's benefactor returned. He was looking for me with uh, this luxurious big car, and uh, then he said, uh, I'm looking for William. So other refugees came in the, to look for me where I was laying in a bush, and they said, your friend is back. So I was excited, then another guy told me, William, be careful. These rich people, you don't know how they make money. Most of them, they sacrifice people. And so you might be, is a sacrifice. He might be looking for sacrifice to give it to Satan so that he get more money. Then I looked at my friend and told him, whether I become a sacrifice or not, I'm still a sacrifice here anyway. Because you look at the kind of life we are leading, we are going to die here. So if he can sacrifice me and make more money and give more money to other people the same way he did, I'm ready to become a, his a sacrifice. So I went and talked to him, and he said, would you like to go to church with him? I told him, you can see I'm very smelly. I, will, I had not taken any shower 
in a, like a four months. It hadn't rained for a very long time because the only way that we could take shower it was when it was raining. That's the only way that we could take shower. And when we got to that church, the man introduced me to his wife and his son. Then they put me in the middle and they made me very, very comfortable. Then after the preaching, they asked me if I wanted to share a lunch meal with them. Said yes, and they, they took me to the house. Uh, when I arrived at that house, it was a, something I had I had never seen. Very clean, very fancy place. I said, oh God, you have blessed people, but thank you, you have blessed them. And also they, they are very kind people and they are sharing. You are welcome in this house and God blessed us this house to welcome visitors. You are our guest. So we shared the meal. Then after meal, they said, William, we have been praying for you. And there is a voice from God telling us that we should take care until you are back on your feet. And because of that, we would like to take you out of the street and get you a room. And here's the money. They gave me $50. Here's the money. Go and look for a room to rent. Make sure that uh, the room you rent is a one-bedroom, self-contained. It has water and electricity. We want you to be comfortable. After you have gotten a place to stay, then we will come and help you. Then they gave me another $50. Say, this $50 is for you to buy food. And uh, once you are established, let us know so that we can visit you. And I went to look for a place, and I rented a place. Then they came and they paid for the whole year for me. And they said, they said every three months we'll be doing shopping for you. We want you to be comfortable. You have suffered a lot. We want God to use us to know what we can do to make your life better. So this is the first step. And also, we want you to register in, in, in English and computer college so that you can learn the basic English and also you can learn how to use a computer as a way to prepare you so that you can become more comfortable. So sometimes then they took me to another college. I performed well in that college. It was the beginning of what would be a shining academic career. They came and they asked me if I wanted to go to university. It was a Imagine you are a beggar on the street and someone tells you that you wanted to go to university. I didn't know what to say. I just cried. I just cried and shook my head and said, but it's very, very hard. I was so worried. I told God, if I wanted to study, to put in all the effort so that even if I fail, I wouldn't blame myself because you have done for me, and uh, I want not to disappoint you. And uh, to my surprise, the first semester, I had uh, done very well. And uh, so when I look at the grade, uh, I was so happy. And uh, then I regained self-confidence from that time. His sponsoring family ran out of money, but then a fellow student William was helping gave him the name of another possible sponsor, a family named England. William made a bold move, 
Not even knowing the Englands, he emailed them anyway and asked for help with his education. To his surprise, they replied right away. We have been praying, uh, asking God to provide us someone who is in need that we can uh, help pay for the school fees at this. So you are an answer to our prayer. Our prayers. I said, wait a minute. Is this a scam or is it, it's, a, it's a real? How could someone re- reply to you saying that you are an answer to the prayers we have been praying and yet you are begging from them? I just looked into the to the ceiling and they said, thank you, God. So it was a wonderful. That's how the England's actually helped me throughout my life all the way. So when I came to the U.S., I had a dream. Uh, I told God, actually, when I landed at the Boston International Airport, I told God, thank you, God, you have an arm now brought to me in the land of opportunities. I'm very grateful to America for giving me this opportunity to have a country that I can call home. It was a country that I can speak out. In other countries, I cannot have this opportunity to tell my own side of the story. But in America, because of its freedom, it's a democracy. Still, he discovered that while in Africa he was a man, in America he was a black man. Being a black in America is strange, is challenging. And I didn't know I was a black until I came to America. <laughs> That's when I, they said I'm a black. Otherwise, I didn't know. I was black. Uh, being black is uh, not a problem until people make it a problem. And um, so it's uh, challenging. It has uh, impacted my career. Uh, so you find that uh, people, even when you are qualified, people think that they are doing you a favor. He forged ahead with his academic career, got a master's degree at Brandeis, was a graduate fellow at Harvard, all on scholarships, and ultimately got a PhD at the University of New South Wales in Australia. Not surprisingly, he's an expert on refugees. He finds learning English is the key to adapting to life in America, but not how you might think. Once they come to America, the kids go to school. It's very easy for the kids to transition. Once you put the kids together, they play, they learn from each other, but the parents are not transitioning as fast as the kids. That also uh, builds a kind of a barrier between the parents and the children. The, the children start seeing the parents as stupid because they cannot speak English. Any instructions from their parents, uh, the children, especially those middle schoolers uh, and high school and the other kids who, who are a little bit older, they start rebelling, uh, rebelling against their parents because they start believing that their parents are backward. And because of that kind of barrier, then uh, the parents cannot uh, stay, they stay home. They cannot uh, watch even TV because the TV is not in their own language. They cannot uh, understand anything. So that increases the impact of their mental health. We were looking at the best way to help such kind of parents so that they can transition uh, and also have uh, also part of the education system whereby parents also are involved in the decision, 
decision making related to the children in the schools, the, the education system, and also the curriculum. William dreams of starting a school, a Christian school, where children can learn at low cost and promote the values that got him this far in life. Best summarized by the maxim most Americans know by heart. In God we trust. You've been listening to When I Got Here, Untold Immigrant Stories, a production of Literacy Achieves, where we provide English literacy programs for immigrant and refugee families in Dallas. To learn more about our mission and these podcasts, visit our website at literacyachieves.org.